an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 191. A lot of stuff going on at Nerdist Industries. The Nerdist channel this week has a bunch of uh, new episodes of shows premiering. The uh, All-Star Celebrity Bowling has Team Chefs this week with Harley Morenstein of Epic Mealtime, uh, Hannah Hart from My Drunk Kitchen, Jennifer Beam from MasterChef, Michael Voltaggio from Top Chef. Uh, super, super fun group. Super fun group. There was, a, there was a bit of shit talking in this one. A bit of shit talking. And uh, pretty much everyone drinking but me. So that's available right now at YouTube.com slash Nerdist. Also, uh, Indoor Kids premiering on the Nerdist channel with Kumail Nanjiani. Emily Gordon and Steve Agee. That's Tuesday. Uh, then, of course, Wednesday, Comic Book Club. Thursday, Ain't It Cool. Uh, Friday, we have uh, more kids in the hall and weird shit from Japan. I would like to thank Stamps.com as a returning sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast. Guys, I can't tell you how important it is to look professional to your clients, your customers, and your partners. Seriously, if you want to run a business from inside your home and you don't want to go to the post office all the time because you're mailing out products that you're selling, hopefully legal products, uh, use stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. It's totally professional looking. It looks like you have a business. You can print directly onto envelopes, labels, even plain paper if you want. Uh, plus, stamps.com will give you a digital scale so you can get exact postage for any letter or package the instant you need it. And then people will be like, wow, he needed $1.53 of postage and he seemed to print that out himself. What a professional business. I will give this person more money. I think it's that's an approximation of how it'll go. So right now, Stamps.com has a special offer for Nerdist listeners. Using the promo code NERDIST, you can get a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including the digital scale, and up to $55 of free postage. So, don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and then type in NERDIST. That's it. Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. So this episode of the Nerdist Podcast is Morgan Spurlock. Uh, Morgan and I have, had never actually met before a couple days ago. Uh, we had sort of we had tweeted at each other once or twice, and uh, I finally met him the other night. I went to the premiere of Comic Con uh, episode four, A Fan's Hope, a movie that was produced by uh, our Nerdist Channel's own Harry Knowles, uh, also Thomas Tall and uh, Joss Whedon and Stan Lee, uh, and directed by Morgan. And I have to tell you, I loved the movie. It was it was just a night. It's so nice to see nerd culture being celebrated positively instead of like, look at these people dressing up in outfits. Like it's such a, it really is a love letter to Comic Con. And and it was real. And there were a couple moments in the movie where you're like, oh, these people, I love them so much. Like you get a little misty. Uh, I I recommend that if 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 you get a chance, see it. Or even if you don't get a chance, make a chance. Uh, to see it. It's available on demand now. I think you can get it on iTunes, and it is showing in select cities. If you get a chance, please watch Comic-Con Episode 4, Fans Hope. Uh, I think it's really important to the uh, 
to the nerd community. This is my uh, two little cents there. That's my tuppence I'm throwing in if you're listening overseas. Uh, Super nice guy, Morgan Spurlock. So here you go. The episode is number 191, and this is The Nerdist Podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. Got the birthday chair. Uh, all right, record and we're recording. All right, Mor- Morgan Spurlock is here. Welcome I am to thrilled to finally have you on the show. This is exciting. I am ex- so excited. I just saw uh, Comic Con episode four. Fans hope the other night, which I loved, and um, my but- invitation got lost in the mail. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, you I know, only do this podcast. I work on Attack of the Show. I mean, I feel it's like not. I, I don't know how it could. How but we're not here to harass you about that. <laughs> but, but literally, before I brought you into the studio. Matt was reading a story about what? I was reading a story about an attraction in Las Vegas they were going to put in downtown Las Vegas in 1992. It was going to be a full-size Enterprise NCC-1701A that would be an attraction that you could come to, go inside, get a hotel room inside the Enterprise. It was going to be full-size. So it was going to be like an entire full-size ship. A full Enterprise ship, $150 million. Like, how gigantic would that be by comparison to, like, the other buildings that would be there? Like, that's... Well, it wouldn't... I mean, the Enterprise, as far as mass is concerned, is no larger than, like, a big cruise ship, as far as... You know, in terms right. of its size, in terms of its size and weight, how many people? Sadly, I know how many? This. How many crew members can the Enterprise hold? Which one? The A. The A. The, the original. That one probably had about 500 crew members. In an emergency situation, it could probably carry about. So, 1200. so instead, they said, "You know what? Let's not build this. Let's build the Eiffel Tower instead." <laughs> yeah. So I mean, well, there's, but there's no way. There's no way that the, like the original Enterprise could not hold enough people to justify its cost. Like they would have oh. to build. Would have to be a a a an, a super Enterprise. Or they'd have to attach. Or they could have made the Enterprise D. Which holds a thousand very comfortably, and in an emergency, it can have ten thousand people. But they need, because yeah, because but in an emergency, yeah, so I mean, what you do is you say so, this is the emergency, yeah, because you need to hold ten thousand. But that's where people are sleeping on each other, like where they're <laughs> just I mean, stuffing this is Vegas. People in it, that's true. Yeah, that would have been one hundred and fifty million dollars to make at that in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, and uh, it was it was this close. They hired engineering professionals to figure out if it could be built. Wow, yeah. they would have had to, what they were going to do is make it look like it was in dry dock. Yeah. And uh, they would add. They were gonna add scaffolding. Oh, add support. a tower. Add they were gonna add scaffolding support to the for to the saucer section because the wind in Las Vegas gets a little much. And so that would look like that was where it was docked. So yeah, attached that yeah. piece. That would have been kind of amazing. Yeah. That is kind of amazing. God I, damn it! I wish. Yeah. And then what? It just funding. I'm just so mad right now. And then just funding <laughs> fell through. I didn't even get through the end of it. I just got so mad. Did, Did it say story, where they were? Story just came out. Yeah. Oh, Did it God. say where they were going to put it? Downtown Las Vegas. Like an old like downtown. An old downtown yeah. Las Vegas to rejuvenate that center. So they were just going to level like the Golden Nugget or whatever else was down oh, there. Oh, here's to start a size. Oh, no, they probably would have kept it. They probably would have kept all that stuff. Oh, there it is. So it would have been like if it was standing on its end, it would have been almost as tall as the Empire State Building. Oh shit! So so it would have been as tall. 
from head to tail as the as the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. So if it was Whoa. laying down. So, seriously. God damn it, that would be such an amazing thing to see. all I ever wanted from my childhood. I'm telling you, if I had Mark That's Zuckerberg's money or like, or like Steve Jobs' money or Bill Gates' money, I would throw $150 million just to make that exist in the world. Just God do it. it. Just because you can. Why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Because then it's always going to, you know, pretty much always going to be there. God, I'm so mad right now at billionaires. I know. What are they doing with their fucking money? They could be building the enterprise. Instead, you know, I love the I love the artist rendering drawing that's on there. The, the, the drawing is fantastic. Where there's like searchlights and there's yes. people going up inside of it. Of course, it's, it's amazing. That's what website was wanted. this from? I don't even know. I just got it emailed to me. Although I don't know I why I feel like the, that building process. Yeah, let's let's, get, so let's give a shout out, out to the uh, that is, whatever the hell. Doesn't it feel like is. that building process could be wrought with disaster? Doesn't matter to me. Then it would make an awesome engineering disasters on History Channel. Yeah, this is what is it? The Gary Godard or Gary Goddard? group so it's garygoddard.com oh my His god blog. that'd be that amazing is, it is amazing yeah. that's really remarkable so that was a thing that we all missed See, out on. i still believe that could happen i think that uh the more of these big that, yeah, and depending on what happens with jj abrams next incredibly successful star trek film let's do a kickstarter be, let's do yeah. a kickstarter guys well, 150 million dollars to... in 30 days we'll raise it <laughs> they're supposed to move the star trek experience which was at the las vegas hilton you went to the they last one yeah. i went to the last weekend it was there the and las then, vegas hilton is so sad the las vegas hilton is now just the las vegas hotel because it, it lost its Hilton branding. Oh, this is the convention center, the one that used to be the convention yeah, center, yeah, yeah. which is so depressing. You're yeah. right. Oh. So now it's not even a Hilton. It's, yeah, now like, it's, like, it's so bummed out because you can't even, like, the Sands used to be down. Like, it was like the last stops on the monorail were like the Hilton and then the Sands and the Sands. Isn't even like there the anymore. people at the Motel 6 are like, oh, yeah, we don't go over there. No, it's not. <laughs> I like the hotel. They had a hell of a cheeseburger for room service. Good right. Lord. But, uh, and it had a big pool. I remember because yeah. I stayed there. It had a massive pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Elvis a, lived there. It was like an old school. It's like an old school. It is. Is an old school old one. School Vegas, like because it, it was almost like if you feel like when you were at that hotel, it was like you're in Palm Springs. Yeah, because it was just like two or three stories. It wasn't massively tall. Yeah, it was very much like this ranch well, no, style there's hotel, the, like the Riviera. And yeah, uh, you're thinking of the next to it. Nothing right. of the the Hilton itself is the is the taller is the taller one with with the spread around it with the spread around it but right. the tall one that's the that was Willard White's penthouse in Diamonds Are Forever, the James Bond movie. When he, when, oh, okay. when oh, Sean Connery's okay. swinging outside, it's outside the oh, Hilton. So that's, that, okay. Because that, that, that was... Was that uh, the hotel that Elvis used to shoot into the ceiling yes, with guns? Yes, that was the hotel Elvis stayed <laughs> that he, at. He would stay there and they would yeah. have to constantly yep. f- like fix these. He would just shoot guns into the ceiling. Yeah, just for that the was fuck the Hilton. I'd like the room not above Elvis Presley, please. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been on the top floor. No, he was floor. on the penthouse, yeah. yeah. They yeah. built the penthouse for him. <laughs> they built it for Elvis Presley. Yeah, they built That's the penthouse for Elvis. Yeah, I want somebody to build a penthouse for us. All well, I want is the do that. Yeah. I'll you take do a that. tiny quarters on deck seven. I don't care. It doesn't just, matter. You just want to be on the enterprise in somewhere. You must have had. You must have seen your fair share of. Enterprise love Segway. during the process of <laughs> that's how that's how we don't always do it on this show. There's usually <laughs> no rhyme or reason. That's a very smooth segue. But I, for smooth. a second, I just sort of felt like Charlie Rosing it, wow. taking it down, <laughs> focusing on the thing. There's too much color surrounding you. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's very bright oh, yeah. right now. Yeah, it should be much darker behind. Yeah, you. there's no chance of Joan Rivers walking by <laughs> behind Charlie Rose. <laughs> <laughs> but that could That's very true. that does happen. Well, she, here. Does, she just does it in the dark. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she just like her feet just float across That's the. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have crossed oceans of time. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. To find you. <laughs> there you are, Charlie. Oh, Charlie. <laughs> you you are mine. Suddenly, suddenly she's 
sounds like she's in like uh, the, the Prince of Prince of Greenwich Village. He's like, yeah. sorry, <laughs> hey Charlie, oh, it's Charlie. the jism, Charlie. Well, so before we get to before we get to the Comic Con movie, uh, Segway destroyed. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, obviously, Super Size Me was an, an amazing cultural phenomenon for which our good friend Doug Benson is now committed to yeah. to uh, basically kind of. Not really, but sort of parodying every film you every make. Every film, every one. Because I said to him the other night, uh, "Is he public about this?" He's, well, he's yeah, he's, he's we talked about it on his podcast first. Okay, he and I did. So yeah. just the idea, like I jokingly said to him after the Comic Con movie, I'm like, "So what's your uh, what's your pot uh, movie gonna be that parallels this?" And he goes, "Chronicon." <laughs> like, and he wasn't <laughs> fucking kidding. Yeah, he's going to make a he's gonna make Chronicon uh, Chronicon episode one Empire or Chronicon episode five Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> 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 what was the other one like? A new dope? No, the Chronicon episode four. Chronicon episode four. Fans dope. Jesus Christ! Either one of those are pretty great. When did you yeah. first hear about uh, Super Size Me? I well, mean, Super, super, super High Me. When did you first hear about well, I was I was on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, this was when we were. I think I was on promoting. No, because I was premiering Where in the World. So I was on Jimmy Kimmel doing Thirty Days, talking about the TV show that we yeah, did, which I loved. And he was in the green room. And so he comes over and he goes, hey, because I, I want to talk to you about an idea. You know, I do stand up and uh, he goes, so, you know, like Supersize Me, I loved your film. I thought it was great. He goes, so, you know, you ate a lot of fast food and I smoke a lot of pot. So <laughs> what I thought I would do is I would, you know, like smoke a lot of pot and see what happens when I do it. And he goes, and now here's where the science comes in. The he science. goes, and then I'm not going to smoke pot and see what the difference is. And I'm going to call it Super High Me. <laughs> What do you think of that? And I told him, I said, I said, I think that's a great idea. I think you should do it. And then cut to, you know, like a year and a half, two years later, I'm at the South by Southwest Film Festival. And um, and so they said, uh, so where in the world's Osama Bin Laden was premiering there and Super High Me was premiering there at the same time, 2008. And they said, so have you heard Doug Benson's movies here? Super High Me, what do you think about that? And I told them, same story I just told you about meeting Doug at, at Jimmy Kimmel. And I said, uh, and I said, listen, I think whenever a stoner comes up with an idea we should encourage that. <laughs> I said, because it's not often they come to fruition. I said, the fact that like, here was an idea and it, we actually, it actually was seen through to the end is amazing. Doug's a fucking go-getter. He is. I, I, I have a couple friends who are like super productive stoner types. Kevin yeah. Smith, too. Is Kevin Smith loves the super weed. Productive. Super yeah. productive. Ke Doug Benson's always got like three irons in the fire. And That's right. Weed. And uh, he, uh, he's, he's, he is a go-getter, that yeah. Doug Benson. And, and during that whole process... By the way, it was totally opposite, like, supersize me message, where it was, like, day day 14, where you're clutching your chest, and, you know, like, I saw Doug day 20, and he was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. So, like, totally yeah. different, you know, and the doctor was like, there seem to be no side effects to what you're doing. So it was a, it was a slightly different, slightly, slight, different. slightly different messaging. I, went years. I think you should smoke more weed. See what happens if you smoke more. <laughs> after, after seeing Super Size Me, I went years without eating McDonald's. I've not. I've actually not had it for like seven years. Ugh, I don't think yeah. I've had it for like seven years. Yeah, mine was uh, at the end of the movie. The end of Super Size Me. There's the party scene where we're celebrating the end of like the diet. You know, here we yeah. it was like dinner time, and uh, and that was March second, two thousand three, and that was the last time I set foot inside of a McDonald's. That was probably. <laughs> I bet if you walk into a McDonald's, it must be like uh, we have orders to keep you out. Like yeah, there's, exactly. there's a yeah, my face is like a red circle. If you see this, like, the door. and then Ronald just looks all sad. Like he make clown sad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I walk in, Ronald. I was like pulling out a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Better keep walking, motherfucker. That's right. It was like this asshole. Just, just shooting like, like, like Big Mac glop at you. <laughs> like, did you ever see Logorama, the animated yeah. uh, film that won the Oscar a couple years ago? 
Yep. No. It's this it's amazing so short. If uh, if your listeners haven't seen it, it's an awesome short. It won the Oscar, I think, three or four years ago. And it is this amazing movie that was uh, done. It's all about logos. And so there's characters, and the two cops in it are that are done in like Pulp Fiction style. The two cops are like Michelin men who are driving yep. around this police car. And Ronald McDonald goes on a shooting spree and starts killing all of these people in the town. Oh, and wow. the whole town is made up of logos, you know, from the people to everything. It yeah. is genius. It is so, so good. good. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Did, I wonder if those companies like couldn't publicly say it was supported, but they just kind of like that they that their 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 logo might be on the Oscars. Yeah. Well, they yeah they couldn't really do anything about it because the the parody and satire was so well done. It's on YouTube. You can see it for free on YouTube. Logo right. Rama. I, I I will go do that. I loved Thirty Days, by the way, and you're the, you're particularly the one about. Um, uh, about trying to live on minimum wage was yeah. fucking mind blowing. Yeah, it was so hard, so terrible. Yeah, I mean, it just it it really. I I mean, I you know you always get a sense like, well, you know, for a lot of people, things really aren't that great in America. But to actually see it put under a microscope like that and go, how the fuck do people live? How do they how do they get by? I have yeah. no idea. I mean, all you need is one thing to go wrong, one thing to go wrong. You know, something somebody gets sick, car breaks down. You know, whatever the problem may be. You know, bill gets bill more expensive bill than you anticipated. Like one thing fucks everything else up. Like the domino effect from that is terrible. Yeah, yeah. And it takes you months, and then you suddenly you're like you're getting you're getting dug into debt. You know, the minute that happens. Do you, do you ever do you get anxiety when you go into a project like that, and then you're like, oh, I had no idea. I needed to fear this thing now that is horrible. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're there and you're like, oh yeah, only twenty five more days. <laughs> Here we go, day five, already miserable. Can't wait, three more weeks. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, I feel like in general a month goes by pretty fast, but when you're doing a thing that you really is miserable, like a month is a really long period of yeah, time. Yeah, let me tell you what, there's nothing nothing lasts longer than like thirty days being in prison. Like you're in jail and you're like, wow, these days, like thirty days felt was like that the hardest. Days. Was that the hardest one? It's yeah, it's it's, it's hard because you just there's nothing to do. Like you're yeah. not forced to do anything in prison. You don't have to do anything. You're not forced to work. You're not forced to do anything. They don't make you staycation. So yeah. So literally, you were there. so basically all I did, I exercised every day. I, I was in better shape when I got out of prison. Than I probably had ever been. So all I did was do push-ups all day long. Push-ups, sit-ups, exercise. I read I read a book a day. I was banging wow. through reading books. Oh I had never read a Stephen King book. I think I read every Stephen King book while I was in there. I read every um the guy that wrote Pelican Brief, John Grisham. I read yeah, every oh, John wow. Grisham book while I was in there. I'm having an idea, you guys, and oh. tell me if this is crazy. Go to prison. We should open a <laughs> prison resort where you're basically arrested for people who need to be forced to not do anything. That's and because some people need that. Like some some people who are particularly like fetishists who like to be subjugated. Like that's their perfect yeah vacation. I really think we could we could make this happen. Well, you I mean, guys. There, there are people that will try to get arrested because they're let's like, I'm, buy I'm the inside. Hilton. <laughs> Las Vegas is the perfect place. How for much it. would we really? Let's buy the Las Vegas hotel. How much would we really have to change to turn it into a prison? Not much. I mean, really, <laughs> I've been there, not a lot. Just uh, just put <laughs> just, some towers I'll just out say, front. Some bars, bars on the windows. That's you're it. Done. We're you're done. done. You guys, guys, we are sitting guys, on. Guys, their cheeseburgers are really good. <laughs> Matt, not anymore. <laughs> we need to do this so we can raise the money to build the enterprise oh, that we want. Oh, let's fucking do it. That's right. Yeah. We're going to send all the pink slime there for the burgers from now on. It's going to be ideal. <laughs> Just do it. Perfect prison. Oh, and then I I and I, I weirdly did a voice 
uh, I played a character of you in a, a cartoon. I saw it. McBusters. Said, yeah, it's fantastic. I didn't know how I to, I was like, how do I do Morgan Spurlock? He's a guy. Like, there's no real, you know, like, so I was like, this is Morgan Spurlock. Like, I just did a really. <laughs> I made myself sound like, sound like, sound like a mustachioed dick. That's perfect. Yeah, there we go. Done. Oh, and Christ. mustachioed asshole will go. <laughs> I wish I could rock the mustache that you have. Mine doesn't connect in the, like. Well, you, so you got to let this part grow a little bit longer. No, but, you, but, you, but yours, but yours, you have the perfect line. Like, you have the perfect angle down. Like, mine kind of grows, like, one drifts off to the yeah. side. It looks like a. It looks like a golf slice on my face, and so it just <laughs> see, but I, see. But I have this because I'm losing the hair on top of my head, and so, you're, so God's so like, "Oh, let him have the mustache." But yeah. I, you know what though? I think uh, I think dudes with the shaved head and the facial hair, like Adam Sessler, just did that. Uh, yeah, it, like he shaved good. his head, and he's got these like Wolverine chops on the side, and it looks fucking badass. Yeah. See, this summer, this summer, I'm supposed to be uh, doing a film, and if uh, that I'm not on camera for, and if I do that, I'm going to shave my head at the beginning of the movie because I need. I want to see what my head sh- is shaped like. I think you got a nice shaved head because you don't want to like shave your head and be like, oh. Oh my god! It looks like somebody hit me with a mallet in the side. Like right. you don't want to have like that big dent. That's what happened to me. I fucking shaved my head and I had divots all over, like a <laughs> golf ball. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Was fucking... someone doing chip shots off your head? I don't know what the hell happened, but I shaved my head and a lot of people thought I had Down syndrome. It was weird. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> Think of all the parking spots yeah, you could get, though. Suddenly, people start sending you helmets. You <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, but uh, uh, but the, the the movie episode four, a fan's hope was. Uh, oh, by the way, so I hope I didn't portray you in a negative way on McBusters. <laughs> no, you're, you're, uh, listen, it, it would take a lot more than the cartoon. It's all good. Uh, good. It was it was just sort of a fun. They're like, do you want to be Morgan Spurlock's voice? And I was like, all right. And just I don't know. But uh, but it, but McBusters was an amazing. That was another sort of really fun. Like playing with the with the logos and yeah, it, uh, was, it was it was it really was a, funny. a McDonald's Ghostbusters mashup. Yeah, um, that's online. If yeah, you I, I emailed see it. I emailed that out as soon as somebody sent it to me. I thought it was brilliant. But uh, but uh, episode four, fans hope. I think it was a really important movie to be made. Uh, you know, just between yourself and Harry Knowles and Joss Whedon and Stan Lee and Thomas Tull mm-hmm. because uh, did I leave anybody out? No, that's it. That is the that is the that is the Geek Squad that, that made that movie. <laughs> the Pantheon. Yeah, because. Um, you know, for the longest time, anything that has been portrayed of, of sort of this sort of nerd and geek subculture movement yeah. is all like usually mainstream media wants to sort of like their their tendency is to tear the roof off of Comic-Con and point at and go, look at these, look three- at these idiots. Look at how stupid they are. Yeah. And it fucking sucks. And, you know, like these, there's not they're not characters. They're human beings. And That's so right. it's so important, I thought. And I thought you did a really nice job of this, of portraying it as a human movement uh, that is not weird and is not c- crazy, and it yeah. really it's it celebrates the culture, which is which I take very personally. Yeah, so. me too. Well, that's the thing. It's like I tell people all the time. I said they said those people aren't any bigger idiots than the idiots that go to football games and take off their shirts and paint their whole bodies, you know, green and white at a Jets game. Like, right. Those, they're, they're, to they're, be they're, fair, those guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but there's equal amounts of like you know crazy idiotic passion, like that is driving you. Like this is I am so obsessed about this thing, whether it's this team or this book or this movie or these characters it is a very similar obsession that's how you know all my friends were like super you know like super sports fanatics who make fun of like me going to comic-con i'm like it's the same thing you guys love the same thing it's in a different way and anybody who plays <laughs> the fan- guy with the beer hat anybody who plays fantasy sports can never make fun of anyone who like goes to comic-con that's why i do both <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's why that's why yeah. you like both you like the sports and the con yeah. you like your sports cons yeah sports cons. super bowl is like a sports con yeah i set my lineup this morning and they got really excited about an enterprise they didn't build in 1990 <laughs> 
1992. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm that guy. That's the perfect day. <laughs> you know, you know what happened oh, is that, you know what happened. Such a perfect day. <laughs> to the to, to the dismay of to the dismay of nerd fans around the world, the Enterprise Hotel might fail, and then someone would buy it and turn it into a sports arena. They're like, yo, they're playing football inside the Enterprise. What are you doing? Uh, I, lo- I I just I. I have I I have such a talent crush on Holly Cooper. By Holly the way, Conrad. I mean, I, let me rephrase that. Yeah. I have such a, cr- a talent crush on Holly Conrad. Who, yeah. I I was there. The other thing that I loved about watching the movie was was all the little markers where because you that was clearly shot at 2010 San Diego yeah. Comic Con. I'm like, I remember those Mythbusters bag. I remember that Scott Pilgrim poster. I remember when the N7 crew was walking oh, around. Oh yeah, like, I was I, there. Yeah. And so, and I told this. Um, we did this uh, live stream on Machinima yesterday. Yeah, I'm still not sure why I was there. I was <laughs> thrilled to be there, but I was not involved with the film. But it was you and Joss and Holly and me for some reason. Uh, but I was for the brilliance. I, no, I, brilliance. I, I was there for the dick jokes. <laughs> I was honored to be there, but um, uh, but uh, but I I, I also uh, remember going through that year. This was just how amazing Holly's costuming was. I was going through that year, and I was walking around the floor with Felicia Day, and everyone was coming up to Felicia like, Felicia, take a picture. Felicia, take a picture. You can take a picture. And then when she saw that, when she saw the Mass Effect uh, cosplayers, yeah. and the, she stopped everyone and was like, hang on a second. Guys, can I please take a picture with you? Like, she immediately turned into a fan, and there That's was awesome. just really this amazing transfer of awe. Um, but but super super talented people. She says she is so talented. She was the very first person that we cast in the film when we kind of put out this massive casting call. You know, we had about two thousand submissions from around the world, and uh, you know, and her video just stood out. Like, here's this girl who's making costumes in her garage who has so much ability. It, you know, she was showing kind of the anima the animatronics of the of the Krogan head that she was making. Yeah. And her video, like when she first sent it, I sent it off to to Stan and Harry and Thomas, and I said, "You guys should watch this because I think she should be the first person that we cast in this." And we used her her tape, which you can still see on YouTube. Like if you look up Holly Conrad Comic Con audition tape, like it's on there, and now it's had like 140 thousand views. And I mean, like, and so we used her as kind of the litmus test for everyone else, you know, to measure against. Like, do they have a story as good as hers? You know, what's their passion like? And and she's she's just an amazing person. I think that this movie's going to come out, and she is going to blow the fuck up. I think so too yeah uh because you, you really you can tell the difference between you know just sort of a casual costume maker and someone who has not only an eye for detail but the ability to get that detail from her brain into her hands that's right and and mold something and it's just so and it's just so passionate about it you know that she you know, she's like listen i'd be doing this in my garage for nothing i have for years you know now if i actually have the chance to turn it into a job it would be incredible that's how you know you're doing the right thing that's right and is that is that how many did you make a, I'm sorry that I don't know this, but how, how much, what did you, what did you do before Super Size Me? Like what, what sort of led you to that? What was yeah. your passion? No, I mean, before that, you know, I went to film school and wanted to make, you know, uh, movies, TV shows. I mean, that's all I've ever wanted to do since I was a kid. And right before we made Super Size Me, like we had a show on MTV called I Bet You Will, where we would go out on the street and bet people to do silly things for money. Yeah. And it started off as a web series that we then sold first to CBS and then to, to MTV. And then when they canceled that show, we had about 50 grand in the bank. And we had so much debt, you know, because post 9-11, we spent so much money to keep the company going just to keep people like I I used every credit card I have to like pay rent, to pay employees, to pay credit cards. I was paying credit cards with credit cards. The minute you start doing that is when you're just like digging yourself (laughs) so deep in the hole. And so I had about $250,000 in credit card debt. And so over the course of doing that series, I paid off about 50,000 of it. So I still owed about 200 grand in credit card debt. And we had 50 grand in the bank. And we, you know, so I was like, well, we could take this 50 grand and we could, you know, I could throw it into that bottomless pit of, of debt. I said, or, 
we could make a movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like logical. That was a smart thing to do. And then we you know, over that Thanksgiving is when I got the idea for Super Size Me, and that was the film we made. I mean, Holy it was amazing. Shit. Yeah, but it is. But but you know, but, but whether it be Holly or whether it be you know the the, the people that you follow at Comic Con or what you're doing, it's still the basic idea and something we always try to emphasize on this show is yeah. like follow what you're passionate about, and you can tell what you're passionate about by that simple formula of would I do this for nothing? For nothing yeah, because I have to. Anyway, that's how you know, you know, if you're doing the right thing. That's right. And and there's so many and it was it was really hard. I mean, I don't want to give anything away about the movie, but there are a lot of talented people in the movie. Yeah. And but there's also, you know, there's also some things that are sort of a bummer where you're like, oh, I know how that guy feels about that thing. Yeah. And, you know, I just I hope people know that the message is you just got to fucking keep on. That's right. You just have to keep on. Yeah, no, that's that's what I tell people all the time. Film young filmmakers, they say, "What what advice do you have for me?" And I was like, "The biggest thing is that you just you can't give up. You can't quit." You know, like I went to film school with people who were so much more talented than me, than me, infinitely more talented writers, directors, producers, cameramen, um, who are now great and talented. You know, stockbrokers, right, and great and talented real estate brokers and and bankers. You know, because somewhere along the way, they were just like, "This is too hard. Yeah. It's too hard." You know, to being, I can only be told no so many times. Um, whereas, you know, I was used to being told no since I was like a teenager, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like girls tell, you no, then jobs tell, you no. you're like, fine, I can deal with this rejection. It's totally fine. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is sort of a, it, it is kind of a Darwinian thing where if you can just stay in the game, that's right. you'll already be ahead of so many people who just fall out every that's, day. And then, and then somewhere along the way, somebody's going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give that guy a shot now. You know, like you've been around so long, like, yeah. let's give him a try. Yeah. Let's give him, let's give him a, you know, a chance. So it's just like, you know, people thought the Red Hot Chili Peppers were shit way back when Uplift MoFo Party Plan was out, and I was listening to that, and then the next thing, you know, Blood Sugar Magic comes up, you're like, these guys are geniuses. Yeah. This is the greatest album I've ever heard. And it's like, no, they were great a while back. Everybody else just now catching on. <laughs> they, they're just slightly more produced now than that's they right. were before exactly. that's, that's really all it was yeah uh how many was it was it just san diego that you guys went to or did you did you consider hitting any we, we other we talked about when we first talked about it, we thought about going shooting at other cons and then uh i said you know no we should root this whole thing in this one place this one story you know the biggest one in, in the united states tell the story of the people coming in here the influence that it has how did, why did it grow to be as big as it is i mean all those things i think were important you know for me to tell that story yeah yeah uh and you how many how many cons did you? You said this yesterday, but I one. can't remember. I, no, I was only. I was, I'd only been to one con, which was the year before. Um, I'd wanted. I'd been to plenty of other cons, but I'd never been to San Diego, and right. I always wanted to. I was. I was like. I was like so many other people in the country. That's like I want to go. I want to go so bad, but I, either I was working or I couldn't afford it or whatever. And so when I got hired to do the. Uh, the 20th anniversary special of The Simpsons for Fox, the minute that show got greenlit, I was like, we're going to Comic-Con. Nice. I was like, we're going there right now. We're going to go there. We're going to cast for Simpsons super fans. We're going to, you know, we're going to have like people come in and American Idol style profess their love of all things Homer Simpson. And uh, and, in, and in the middle of this casting process where it was like, you know, Al Jean, myself, Matt Selman sitting there, people were coming in, you know, young girls, older guys. This guy came in, painted head to toe in red liquid latex. Like literally had painted his whole, like he had some skin on that had been painted over in this red liquid latex sealed to his body no. and so he comes in he's got these fake teeth in all over his head you know and and he's black eyes and got things sticking out of his body and black spots on him and he comes in he's like I love Homer Simpson you gotta understand this he changed my life it's so important I love it and I was like I was like oh that's awesome so, oh, that's great but what what is all this what is this he goes oh uh, I'm Carnage and I was like, he's like, you know who Carnage is? I was like, oh, no, I know, I know who Carnage is. And he goes, oh, yeah, so he's like, that's who I wanted to dress up as for Comic-Con. And so 
this morning my wife, she, she's the one who painted me into this costume, and then she and the kids drove me here and, and dropped me off. And I said, I, I was like, hold on a second, the kids, they dropped you off? And he's like, yeah. They don't really get it, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> so that, that was the moment where I was like, I was like, this is there's a movie here. Well, and I think what's important about this movie is that I feel like it's a movie that that guy could show to his family and say, look, and they would go, I oh, get it. They go, ah, oh. yeah. yeah, no, that's the thing is like I, I show this film, I show this film to my mom, and my mom was like, oh, now I know why you like to go there so much. She goes, that looks fun. She yeah, goes, that place looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, and. I think that this movie will become the, like, I'm okay, you're okay for the 21st century. There's going to be, there are going to be, like, geeky kids all across America giving this to their parents for Christmas. Mom, thing. we need to sit down and watch this as a family. That's right. You need to know <laughs> I'm normal. I am normal. <laughs> Son, I had no idea. That's right. Well, that's it. Holly Conrad's father came up to me after the premiere. You know, he was at the premiere on Wednesday. And he says, for years, I've never quite gotten what my daughter does or why she does it. And he says, and he goes, and it was like a light bulb went off. He goes, I so get it's it It's a now. difficult thing to explain to someone, like, yeah. why, you know, you just you really just have to see it. Yeah, you why, just have to experience yeah, it. Yeah, why you do it, what it means, you know, why are you going to this contest? What what are you going to get out of this thing? And and it was such, it was like a revelation for her dad. And I think that uh, I think so many other people see the film and feel the same way. Well, it's it's also part of it, you know, like there's a very important part. I mean, the cons are important because you know, I mean, it's different. It's so much so different now with the internet and everyone's so connected, but you know, like um but, uh, but when I was growing up, back in the it old days. It doesn't make me feel too old to say that because that really was not that long ago. Well, listen, I, I tell people this people all the time. Like when Super Size Me came out, which is eight years ago, which you know feels it doesn't even feel like that long, but it was eight years. That was, It was pre-YouTube. It was pre-Twitter, yeah. pre-Facebook. You yeah. know, it's like, and which feels like, that feels like 100 years ago. Pre-iPhone. Pre-iPhone. Yeah, pre-smartphones. Yeah. Yeah, pre like it was back when like the, the, if you had a cool phone, you had one of those that flipped open like a clamshell. Yep. That's when you know you were cool. The StarTac yeah. phones. That's right. Yeah. You had the StarTac phone. Yeah. Or you could configure like a Palm to yeah, get like your right email, around, but it was like it was right around like it was like right around trio all blackberries. Were I was I was in off. I was in film school when your when your movie came out. Yeah. We saw it actually during a documentary class. So yeah, like, so that was like trio yeah. blackberry yeah. world was just starting. Yeah, yeah. But what I but it's it's important because you just need to know that you have a tribe. You need to know that whatever this thing is that's inside you, it's not just you. And that was very hard to do back in those days, like in the in the eighties, you know, nineties too. Like cons were the only real way that you could, on a grand scale, be like, "Oh, oh, thank God, I'm I am normal to to some slice of humanity. I am right. normal, that's right. you know, where everyone else, and it's a special slice of humanity." And so, you know, I, I, I but again, now it's like, well, well, you can connect with people online. It's not as hard. But but also now, I think there's been such a wide, and, and the internet has a lot to do with this, as well as like the the movies and TV shows that have these type of genres. I mean, it's it's cool now. It is. It's like a badge of honor to like be a fan of these types of things. Whether it's like you know Captain America, or you collect these type of vinyl toys, or you know whatever. Like there is. It's not seen as you're not that guy who's like the weirdo anymore because those weirdos are now the people who control the entertainment business. Those yeah. are the people who control all the big giant corporations. Yeah. These billionaires, these weirdos, geeks, and nerds are the ones who make everything happen. Yeah. Well, because the popular kids forced us into isolation, so we had to develop imaginations. <laughs> <laughs> we had to live in fantasy worlds. Uh, because we didn't have we didn't Friends. have good social <laughs> interactions, so we had to create them. That's right. We like alien worlds and we like fantasy, and so so fuck you, popular kids of the old days, <laughs> fuck yourselves. Uh, and then you also uh, you you also worked on Freakonomics as well. I did, yeah. Which I I the whole concept of Freakonomics to me is such a like it's one of those things. The second 
you see the title and you go, oh, of course. Why did this not exist before? Yeah, and the, and the guys are so smart, you know, that made that wrote the book and then we worked with on the film. I mean, here you're creating this whole idea of like social economics, behavioral economics, understanding why people make the choices they do and breaking that down into real simple ways to understand. I mean, it's the movie's great. I was really proud of the film. The film got film got got ripped apart by people though. Oh, did they? Yeah, because I think well, it's it was very it was very kind of disparate because you know there were five different directors right. who worked on the film. You know, there was Seth Gordon, there was myself, Alex Gibney, uh, Eugene Jarecki, Heidi Ewing, and Rachel Grady. Each of us doing a piece, and you know, most of the overwhelming consensus was those. Their reviewer might like one or two of the pieces, but you know, they didn't like them all the way they were woven together. Right. Um, which I thought gave it a distinct personality where it's like, well, if you don't like one of these stories, don't worry, it'll be over in 16 minutes. Here's right. the next one. Yeah. It's sort of the uh, Parisia Tem of statistical data, <laughs> sure. if you will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like a hundred, but maybe a hundred people will get that. Yeah, uh, I got it. But okay, good. Ninety-nine I, other ones are listening, I, I, going, "Oh, us too, us too." I appreciate that. But I, but I, but I love the. Are you mathy at all? I just, I love the idea of being able to collect large amounts of data and then just start finding patterns and connecting things that. Yeah, no, like that. That really speaks to me because I was very mathematical as a kid and, and still a bit kind of, you know. Rain Man-esque, I guess, as an adult. That, but, I mean, there is this sort of idea that, you know, giving the film to five different directors is sort of the heart of what's uh, what's at the book, is just taking different slices of data yeah. from different points of view and then connecting them in, in ways. Yeah, no, I thought it was really smart. And, uh, you know, when the producers came to me, I was one of the first people they, they talked to about it. I thought it was a great idea, you know, yeah. and, and that I was like, why hasn't somebody made this already? I don't understand, <laughs> you know. What do you, are you, are you working on, are you must, well, because you shot that at, when did you finish Comic-Con, the movie? We finished, Comic-Con premiered last year at, at Toronto, at the Toronto Film Festival. So, you know, I mean, this film's been done for like, you know, eight months, nine months. And so now, okay, so now you're going through all the press now and sort now of... Now we're going through all the press yeah, now, yeah, yeah. coming out. Because it's on, it's on demand, people can get it on demand people, now. People, like, it's coming out in select markets, like, you know, it opened today in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, it opened next weekend, it opens next weekend in New York, Boston... And DC, uh, it opens in Denver. I think the following week, and it'll pro we'll probably add more markets. But yeah. um, when my last film, the greatest movie ever sold, came out, you know, I had tons of press around that film, like so much press in a period of like you know, week ten days. I was on like Kimmel and Conan and and uh, Colbert, all within like a week and a half. And then the movie opened on like eighteen screens. Right. So ninety five percent of the country, more, couldn't even see the film, yeah. didn't even have access to it. And so I said, you know what? I'm never going to release a movie like that again. I said, I really want to crush the window. I want more people to have access to the movie. So like with this film, we're opening in select markets, but also, you know, starting today, it's on it's on demand all across the country, over 100 million homes, yeah. you know, every cable provider you can think of. You can download it, you stream it on iTunes right now, and it's available on iTunes worldwide today. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, and today's April 6th, by the way, just and so people know, because uh, we're not April live streaming. That's right. <laughs> um, just, just, I want people to have a frame of reference. Right. Like, Wait, what do you mean the movie opens this weekend? I, like, I thought it's been open for weeks. Uh, I can't find it anywhere. Is it is it hard for for a documentarian to? I mean, I imagine now because there's so much competition yeah. with the way that people consume media that putting out a movie that I think a th that uh, that a chain theater be like, well, this is something that people can watch on television. It's not doesn't have to be. It's not 3D. Like we need to put. Like, big-budget 3D movies to motivate people. Well, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. You know, like, I have yet to have a movie that I've made play in my own hometown. Oh, you know, shit. Where I grew up in Beckley, West Virginia, I have yet to have a movie I've made play where I grew up. 
You know, just because, you know, they see my movies as being so fringe and kind of not mainstream enough that why would they want to program a doc into, you know, the hometown theater? So like an hour away in Charleston, in the capital, you know, there's there's two or three theaters. So that most of the time that's where my movies place. My my folks have to drive an hour to go see my film actually play in a movie theater. Uh, Son, could you just make yeah. something your mom and I could, could watch make, at home? Make something popular, please. Could you make something <laughs> Dad, popular? you can literally get it on the internet, but that's not going to the theater. It's not, it's not the same thing. Yeah. So, so that's why I called my dad yesterday, um, or day before, when I was on the way to the premiere, I called him and, and uh you know, just to tell him uh, you know, that the film that he, the film was coming out on demand. And I was like, you'll be able to see it this Friday. Like, you can sit at home and watch the movie. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll definitely watch it then. Do you know how you <laughs> demand to see my movies all the time? You can literally <laughs> demand to see this movie, <laughs> yeah. and it will be delivered to now you. It's, now it's dad on demand. <laughs> <laughs> Son, when are you going to? All right, I got to go. Yeah. Um, after uh, Super Size Me was one of those movies that, that hit pretty hard and pretty fast. And, yeah. you know, like all of a sudden... You know, your name became a, a name that did that movie get you out of credit card debt? Absolutely. Good. No, it's like I like and and the thing was like I had there were about six people working for my company who for years while we were in the hole kept working. You know, that were still there. And so when that movie finally made money, because people love to say that movie made twenty eight million dollars, I was like, that's not really how the economics of the film business work. <laughs> yeah. um, but but when we did start making money, I paid every single person who worked at the company like all their three years of back salary. We paid off all their debt. So basically, by the time the film was done. Everybody who worked for my company was debt free. I mean, it was amazing. It was an incredible thing to have had. Awesome. Happen. That yeah. that in itself is a pretty interesting. That's story. why I, make... I keep working for Chris. I'm just hoping eventually, eventually. the windfall will come. It's gonna happen, it's buddy. We'll all pay off our debt. Next thing it's you gonna know, happen. Next thing you know, Enterprise Hotel. <laughs> and we did it. <laughs> to be fair, Matt Myra, you will always have debts because even if someone gave you a million dollars, you would figure out how to spend a million and one. Uh, I, for the record, I don't have any credit card debt. Nice. Whatsoever. It's all student loan debt. That is, yeah, which, that, which that's going to be around forever. Yeah, yeah, which we're never paying Listen, that they, those people don't expect to get that money back. They knew they what they knew were getting into. into it. But like, I would never finish. A, a handful of... Yeah, you don't have to pay them if you didn't finish, right? right? That's what I thought. Yeah. That's why I left. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I, I, didn't... Thought, I thought I only paid you with the, if I got a diploma. He's yeah. got us there. Yeah. All right, you're free to go. I don't even have a credit card. I only use a debit card. See, I, that's smart. That's just, I tell people that all the time. I was like, get rid of your credit cards. Yeah. I think yeah. I think people would be really interested to see just your your story or that story of like how, especially being in that situation of I have $250,000 worth of debt or I have $200,000 worth of debt. Yeah. I can either kind of knock some of that down or just I can put this all or on say, black. Or say, fuck it. Let yeah. it ride. <laughs> let, let it ride. ride. Come on, daddy. Come on, make another movie. There's the West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it creeps out every once in a while. Yeah, just add alcohol. That's right. That's the key. <laughs> totally gonna, it's just like, like Barney when Barney, when he was NASA training, just takes a sip. It breaks. <laughs> like, oh, just like one sip after yeah. not drinking for a week. Uh, but uh, it, it is, it's, it's, I think it's important for... For anyone who is a who is a creator or like wants to set off and do something on their own of just like figuring out just fucking figuring out how to do it. And and being being, you know, willing to take a risk. You know, that's the other thing. Is like at some point you're gonna put yourself in a situation, most likely if you're if you're really chasing after your dreams, where you're gonna be uncomfortable, where you're gonna feel you're gonna be so out of your comfort zone, you like and you're gonna have to make the decision, how deep do I go? Yeah. How much do I dive in? And at that moment I was like, I was already evicted from my apartment. I was I was sleeping in a hammock in my office. And so I was like, still got an office. <laughs> nice. Still got an office. See, that's a half full. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
So that's like, that's very helpful. Like there would be mice. I remember this the office that I was sleeping in. There would be mice every night that I would hear. So I'd put out all these glue traps while I would sleep in the hammock. Then I'd wake up in the morning and go around. And before people come in the office, I'd collect all the glue traps with the mice that were stuck to them. And I'd take them out on the fire escape and break their little necks with the bar that was used <laughs> every day. So I would put them all out of their misery and throw the glue traps down in the alley. And then mouse steaks. <laughs> that's right. Hey, guys. You gotta eat something. Look what I made. I made little tiny mouse chicken sausage. legs. Mm. Mm. Those are delicious. Wow, Why I'm still just so as hungry as before. I don't understand. <laughs> Still just as hungry as this before. This is not the way a chick leg would be formed. I'm not right. sure. It's such a small chicken happening? leg. They're very small chickens. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're Why does it have a tail? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'll just see that just like the one, the one mouse on the balcony is, is just like five all somewhere out there. Here comes Morgan. Break. Crack. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sorry, Fievel. I, I I always wonder what the line is because I feel like fear is a very powerful motivator. Yeah. But fear at the same time can also be uh, a, a very powerful yes, b- b- paralysis age. Exactly what you just said. Yeah. And so you know how do you how do you use it to manipulate it? Because you're making a thing I don't and think you fear go. Fear is as paralyzing as comfort is. When you're comfortable. You know, comfort is immobilizing. It's not paralyzing, and I think there's a difference. But like f- comfort, Im- being immobilized is sort of, is, is like it's different than I literally cannot move because I'm so, so afraid. afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I'm sure you kind of have these moments where you go, "Fuck, I'm about to go further into debt," and then and then what happens? Because you don't want to start making choices as a reaction to fear. Yeah. You want to be able to use the fear to motivate you. So how do you... Well, I mean, for me, it's, it was one of those where all this was happening is I didn't want to be in a position where at any point I would say, gosh, I wish I'd have just gone for it. Yeah. You know, I wish I would have just taken that chance. You know, I mean, from the minute from the minute I started working in this business, I was like, you know, I'm going to take as many chances as I can. I'm young. It's like I can, I can afford to take some chances right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was rolling the dice. And I mean, before that, I mean, just to take even another step back, I remember I was working on... on um, I was working as a PA right after I got out of college working on movies. Like I worked on The Professional and Bullets Over Broadway and um, Kiss of Death, the Barbe Schroeder film. And it was while I was working on Kiss of Death as a PA that I got a friend of mine a job in the casting department. And she started casting for this other job for we're working with uh, Tracy Moore Marable, who's kind of one of my one of my angels who changed my life. She uh, she was casting for this job for somebody to be the face of this like Sony auto sound. Sony made car stereos. So it was okay. like this this promotional tour that was going across the country. Um, and so they said, we want somebody to be the face of this tour. And, and she goes, I can send anybody I want. You should go do it. And I was like, well, I don't have an agent. I can't go do that. And she goes, no, I can send anyone. And so I went downtown one day. I picked up the film from set, dropped it off at Technicolor. On my way back to the office, I went in and auditioned for this thing. And the next thing you know, I got the job. Holy shit. Yeah. And so for the next two and a half years, I became like the face of this tour that would go to like sporting events and colleges and, and trade shows. And they were, one, they were one of the sponsors of the Bud Light Pro Beach Volleyball League. Yes. And so I, and so I started doing, so I was on tour with, like this, with this Beach Volleyball League for about two years. Whoa. And I was doing like on-camera stuff for ESPN as part of that. I started doing announcing as part of that. And so this whole time I was like, this is all, this is all just part of taking me where I want to go. Like this is, I'm still, I started doing production for Sony, like making videos for them on the road. Yeah. And it was like, like the path that got me to where I am is so convoluted and, and, and strange. But it was like every single one of those steps 
you know, when I look at when Supersize Me got made, and especially how we marketed Supersize Me, like I learned more about marketing and grassroots marketing when I worked for Sony and did that job that made Supersize Me success, a success when we got to Sundance. Because, you know, I said, well, you know, we should give out all these hats and we should make dolls that are limited edition. And so we made all these little fat Ronalds that were, there were only a hundred of them. <laughs> and so like certain journalists, when they would come to an interview, would give them one of these dolls. And, and I still know people who have them. They're all, they're only a hundred in the whole world. Oh, it's wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And, and also I think there's something to be said for, um, I think when you kind of look at anyone who's successful, they, they sort of figure out how to connect things like whatever sort of, whatever sort of situation they're in, they can figure out how to connect that to something else that is in the direction of what they want to do. And yeah. it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Cause that is a, that is a pretty weird left turn to be like, like I'm the face of a thing now. I yeah, was just like, I was just on them on the road doing this. But then like about a year into that tour, Sony said, we need, we want to make a video about the tour that we're doing. And I said, well, I went to film school. I could do that. So I started making videos for them that became like the videos they would make for the consumer electronics show that, you know, that basically became these multi-million dollar video installations. And, you know, so it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I started getting back more and more into directing and it was, it was fantastic. What are some of the ancillary ways that, you know, because obviously you how, how, you can really only do sort of one documentary at a time, I would yeah. assume, and that takes up a pretty good chunk of time. Yeah, you, can, you can layer over one, like shooting them two simultaneously is tough. Like we were shooting Greatest Movie Ever Sold when we were shooting Comic-Con. But the good thing about Comic-Con is like we could shut down Greatest Movie because most of Comic-Con took place in a week. Right. Like it wasn't months and months of shooting. Right. Um, but, you know, usually what we try to do is we try to prep start shooting a movie. While we're shooting that movie, we're developing the other one so that basically once we go into post on that one, we're going into pre-production on the other one. Yeah. So that so that there is kind of a, there's a steady stream of things, you know, feeding into the next one. Like, because my next film is going to premiere in two weeks at the Tribeca Film Festival. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is a, it's a film um, all about uh, male grooming. Man grooming. Yeah. and nice. so, Yeah, and it's a movie we did with uh, Will Arnett and Jason Bateman, and it's called Mansom. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't ask for two better guys. No, they're awesome. To be, and it's good. It's a great cat. They're fantastically funny, and Zach Galifianakis is in it, and Judd Apatow, and Paul Rudd, and Scott Ian from Anthrax. I know Scott. Yeah, yeah. it's good. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. You uh, documentary to me is. I mean, it, it's sort of. There's such a. I mean, reality television. This trend. It is like docu soaps, wh whatever. But yeah, it, it's always. Uh, it's always scared me a little bit because. It's scary, I guess, and exciting at the same time because you just don't know exactly where your story's going to go. You have to basically, it's almost like, it's, it's really, this is like, it's like a science project. You take That's a right. sampling <laughs> of humanity and yeah. then you have to start dissecting it to figure out where the story is. And, and whenever we whenever we start with a film, especially if it's a film that I'm in, you know, Manson was a little different because I'm only in a little bit of the movie, but like Greatest Movie Ever Sold or Super Size Me or Where in the World's Osama Bin Laden, where we would start with an idea. And then we basically would just spin the top, and we have no idea what the final product's going to be. Like, what is? I know what A is, but I have no idea what Z is. Mm -hmm. And so you're literally going along, you know, trying to, you know, bouncing around. It's really organic once you start doing it. And the, you know, when I was making Super Size Me, <clears throat> I had a phone call, I had a conversation with Eugene Jarecki, brilliant director, brilliant director who did um, Trials of Henry Kissinger. He did um, the the Reagan film. He did one of these pieces of Freakonomics. And uh, he has a film that just won the Sundance Film Festival. He did Why We Fight, and he okay. also had another film that won the Sundance Film Festival that's all about kind of the, uh, the prison system in the United States. Brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. Like, his movies are really dense, so filled with so much information. They're so smart. But I called him up, and I said, I just need to get some advice. I've never made a feature-length documentary. You know, what, what do I do? And he goes, he goes, let me give you some advice. 
He said, uh, he goes, if the movie you end up with is the exact same movie you envisioned at the beginning, then you didn't listen to anybody along oh, the way. Oh, shit. That's brilliant. And that was, it was the best advice I could have yeah. ever gotten because it's one of those where you can't go through, go into a movie with tunnel vision of like, here's what my movie's about. You need to go and say, here's what I think the movie's about. Here's the movie I think I'm going to tell. And then as you start going, there's going to be somebody who's going to open up a door that's going to point you in such a different direction. And those moments are great because they really get you thinking in a different way, looking at your project in a different way. And they just make it, they, they really take the film in a much smarter direction. It's almost like sociological treasure hunting in, a, right. in a weird sort of way. Like you're just, you're just kind of hoping to uncover these gems or just trip along something along the way and like, oh, fuck, like the Freedmans yeah. or, you know, like yeah. anything like that. And you, and you do discover things that you're just like, shit, I never even thought. Like when we were making Super Size Me, we were in, um, we were shooting in Chicago and I was shooting at a school outside of Chicago in, in Naperville, Illinois. And we went to interview a guy named Phil Lawler. Phil Lawler was the guy who ran the, the, uh, the PE classes there. And so he basically had become really well known for changing the way you teach kids PE. Like he had, he had bicycles in there. He had bicycles that had video games on them so that while you're riding the bike, you're pedaling the bike, which is powering the video games. So you're playing the game while you're pedaling the bike. And this was like eight, nine years ago. It was amazing. Electronic carrots for kids. That's right. And so, and so his whole thing was like, you got to, you got to keep kids engaged. You know, you want to keep them, you know, moving, even if it's something as simple as a game like this. And so then I was like, well, this is brilliant. This is great. And so then we finished shooting it with him in the morning and walk into the lunchroom. And the lunchroom you see in the film is the lunchroom at this school that has that great PE program where there's they're selling kids like ring dings and ding dongs and Gatorade. And they, oh, had a slush, they had a slushy machine and pizza and French fries. And it's like, this is like the worst food you could ever feed a kid. You know, and it's like, and this is what's this is what's everywhere. And then the woman's like, she goes, oh, yeah, you know, it all it all meets the standards for. And I was like, really? A slushy machine like meets the standards of what you can give a kid at lunch. Well, let me rephrase well, that. There's, there's no standards. Yeah, oh exactly. right, yeah. <laughs> it meets these zero standards. That's right. That's I even right. remember going to when I went to school. We had a there was a uh, you could only have like one junk food thing on your That's lunch right. tray. And it, and, it was, and it was usually like you'd get you'd go through the fast food lunch line and it was usually like a little cake, like, yeah. like some sort Just, of like yeah. a little some sort of little cheesecake that was about this big back then. I yeah, it was so tiny. I don't remember. I don't even think we had soda machines. We weren't allowed to have soda. There was no soda machine. Yeah. So there was like very fine. Remember very fine yep. juice. There was yeah, like, there was like yeah. a very fine juice machine. Yeah, um, and this was like pre water. Oh wow! And now yeah. they don't give. Great. No one gives a fuck. I mean, is it really? You know, obviously there are conspiracy theorists who believe that, nah, man, the government's trying to fill us with, yeah, they're trying to fill us with shit so we'll be too fat and tired to rise up. And it works. <laughs> and, and they win. <laughs> or at That's, least for a third of us. I sleep like a baby every night. <laughs> well, you're on the juice. Matt's doing a 60-day juice cleanse. I am. 60 days? Yeah. So you're doing nothing but drinking juice for 60 days? Yeah. Have you seen that movie, uh, yeah, Fast, Sick, I, and Nearly Dead? That's, that's why he's I, doing I it. I decided to do it. Nice. Yeah. He's on day six. day six. All right on. Whatever. you got to reach out to that guy. you got to have him come on the show. 12 pounds down. You should have him come on the show. I, oh, that's he's a good in idea. Australia. That's... Yeah. No, he's here. He lives in New York. Does he? He lives in New York. He, he called me and said, uh, who do I get to, 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 to work on this film? And basically the producers that we had on Where in the World's Osama Bin Laden went from Where in the World right over to working on his film. And so, uh, oh, well, he started. Yeah, so Stacey Hoffman, Jan, Jamin Mendelson, the two girls that basically produced that film with us, basically went over and produced that movie with him. Joe Cross. Yeah, Joe yeah. Cross. You should, you, should, you should get him on the show. You know what right. you should do too, Matt? What's that? Every night... You should just do like a two-minute video about what the experience is doing to you, just to document it, and maybe we could put it on the Nerdist channel. And are you taking a picture of yourself every day? No. Oh, do you it. Do that too. 
You've got to do that too. Listen, if you're gonna, you know if why? If you're six days in, you got to start that now because over the next over the next seven weeks, like it's gonna be a, a friend of mine who shot with Joe, like the DP, the, my Danny Maricino, my DP, who's I've shot with on the last five movies, four movies, basically shot that film with Joe, and he went on this crazy juice juice cleanse while he was there, and like my friend came home and was just so thin, and I mean he was he wasn't like huge already, but he just went on the juice fast for like three weeks while he was out on the road shooting, yeah. and came back, and the guy looked like a million bucks. Wow, it was incredible. We'll see. I, I yeah. think I think you're gonna want to document the experience in, in some sense because like especially especially it must be fun for you to go back. I just you know, figured my gadget prawn segments on Attack of the Show uh, would be on TV three times a week. That would be enough for me to. Yeah, but you want your own. You like, don't take you want a photo. <laughs> you still take a photo of yourself every night, just in the mirror, just like you know. Don't you want? Don't you want to see? Don't you want to like put all, right, all the pictures but I'm together? Covering my nipples, guys. Cover, cover your I'll, nipples. I'll, we'll send you some G4 pasties. <laughs> yeah. We want to get this on television. <laughs> I mean, it must be even. It must be fun. It must be even kind of fun for you when you watched yourself <laughs> physically disintegrate <laughs> during the process of supersizing. You're I like, I love when you I fucking to... throw up that quarter pounder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, so, so many kids. Like every time I meet kids, because yeah, they show this movie in health classes like all across the country still, which is amazing. And so I'll meet little kids like in a mall or or I was I was at a I was at a uh, I was driving upstate New York and there's I was at a rest stop and I was t- I took my little boy in and there were like these kids there and they're like. Are you that guy from Supersize Me? And they're like, <laughs> we just we just watched you in health class. We loved it when you threw up out of the car window. Like, that's, that is, that is, that's my that's my moment. How right long there. did it take you to feel better after that movie? Mo- uh, months, like about two months. Oh, um, shit. It took about eight weeks for me to kind of you know get my cholesterol and liver function back to normal, Jesus blood pressure. God, it took eight weeks, but and it took me it took me fourteen months to lose all the weight and keep it off. It took like forever. What did you What did you do? Just lower your caloric intake and yeah. Exercise? Then I and I started exercising like crazy again. Um, you know, just paying attention to what I was eating. But it, like to get it off and keep it off took fourteen months. Wow. Because once you well, that thing is once you what people forget is once you gain weight, like those fat cells don't just vanish. Right. Like once you lose that weight, your body's still filled with all those fat cells that are just waiting. They're right. just waiting for you to like eat a little too much, take in a little too much ice cream, have one more beer, and then there's yeah. then they just store it. Like I can gain to this day, I can gain like anywhere between five and ten pounds like on a weekend. Holy shit. Yeah. I can do that too, actually, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. No, I can. Yeah, it's, which is like frightening because that's the thing. is like once your body's like that, you have to – like I have to pay so much attention. Because I used to have my heaviest. I was like 470. Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can just fucking – like when I was in – when I when we were in – where were we? Minneapolis before that. Uh, we were in Philly Philadelphia and Atlanta. And Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We were there, and then I flew to Vegas, and then I came back home. That weekend, I put on seven pounds. Oh, Wow. It was wow. fucking insane. Was it all just like, you know, fried airport It was all just beer? like, yeah, just stuff on the go. It was yeah. just shit. Like when we go to the venue well, that's and they're the like, worst. here's the menu. And, and I was like, fish so hard when you're traveling. When you're on the road, like I, I, there's things I tell myself, like I won't eat at airports. Like that's the one thing I tell myself all the time. It's like, I don't care how hungry I am. I will not eat at an airport because the food is so hard to find anything good at an airport. Well, yeah. and the, but the problem for me is that I, I sort of you eat. shut up. You're so thin. I, yeah. <laughs> problem is for me. Oh, and it's like, in my weight, like 105 pounds. Problem is <laughs> that sometimes my six pack goes down to a five pack. <sighs> Just the top left one. It's weird. Well, I need to make sure they're symmetrical. <laughs> you guys, it's really important. But, uh, but, but, but when I travel, I sort of, I kind of go into this mode and unfortunately I travel a lot, Yeah. but I go into this mode where I'm like, I don't even know when I'm going to have food near me again. So I better just, I'll just, I'll eat a bunch of food now so that I'll be full for the rest of the day. But that's probably not the best. Terrible. 
It's not good. Yeah. What do you What do you do when you're on the road now? I mean, I try to. Uh, you know, for me, I try to. The biggest thing is exercise. Like for me, I, I if I don't exercise when I'm on the road, I'll go crazy. Yeah. You know, I try. I try to sleep as much as I can, which is usually about four or five hours a night. Yeah. You know, like that's usually what I average when I'm on the road because there's so much going on. Um. So it's like if I can get if I, if I can only get five hours sleep, then it's more important that I exercise, or yeah. else it's just my I'll lose my wits. Yeah. Uh, well, and thankfully every hotel now has a treadmill or something. Or at least so a treadmill. You, at least like, a it'll treadmill. Be, it'll be the saddest hotel gym you've ever seen. Oh, which I've is like, seen some fucking <laughs> sad ones. But you're like, they've turned one of the rooms. Like, whichever room yep. somebody got killed in, you're like, this is definitely the room somebody <laughs> got strangled in. I know it is. <laughs> is this, this treadmill's over police tape. I've been to ones where they, they would, I would get more use out of a hamster wheel than some of the shit that I've seen in hotel gyms. Yeah, it's, like, it's like they bought all the equipment from like the old YMCA. <laughs> yeah. It's like they've got, they've got one of those machines with the belt around People were smaller in the 30s. That's why. Look like at the it. end. You can uh, run through the finish line, and look. No, that's also police tape. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That's the ultimate finish line. That's not. That's not that. No, I've been in some very sad hotel gyms, but even then, it's like I will. I will do something to uh, you know. Just even if I'm on the treadmill for like you know 20 minutes. Well, yeah, that's a, that's the thing. You know, it's I, I try I, to walk wherever I go. Wherever we get to a city, I first thing I do is throw my bags in the room, put my headphones on, and walk. That's great. I, yeah. It and really and it's fun in like cities. Like especially yeah. if you've never been there, it's yeah, great yeah, to yeah. walk around and just take it, it in. It really does not take that much to start down the path to being a little bit healthier. And and sometimes I. It also I, doesn't take much to start eating like an asshole. Nope. <laughs> no, because psychologically, <laughs> right. what happens is That's you right. do it once, and then you go, "Well, fuck it, I've already done it." Yeah. But you but you have to remember, like it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You can you can just go, "Okay, well, I won't do that today." No, the minute I have one Krispy Kreme donut, I'm like, "Oh, I already had one." Yeah, might as well have another. It does say hot donuts now. All right, one more. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, if someone if someone. If someone, if the only change someone made in their life was that they just, quiet, I'm thinking they, about hot donuts. They just, oh, donuts. they just <laughs> ran or walked like 20 minutes a day. Change it would everything. completely change their lives yeah. because right. once you start feeling a little bit better, it affects. It sort of back way reverse engineers. You're like, well, maybe I won't have that extra donut, or maybe I, I won't. I prefer to walk to work. I honestly don't fucking. I don't like driving here because it's only That's a mile. I'm like a mile away. I live in Pomona. <laughs> I'm like, listen, it's going to take me 18 hours. It's going to take me 18 hours. <laughs> every, every day. <laughs> Whatever. Every day. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and also, uh, just people to know they should see Comic Con episode four, uh, uh, Fans Hope, uh, and also uh, your new film, which is coming out, Mansom. Uh, uh, so, so, how's that process work? So, it comes out, it premieres at Tribeca. And then we're opening uh, like three weeks after that. It'll be in theaters May 18th. Okay. Oh, so yeah, it's sort of almost back to back in a weird sort of way. Yeah. Like, like two which, movies. Which right is not what you plan. Like when we premiered at, at Toronto with Comic Con, I thought we would have Comic Con out before the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but then when we sold it to the distributor, they were like, "No, no, we want to push this till April." And we're like, "Oh, that's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens." Are you ever going to do the uh, uh, the selling the thing online, your directly model, or is that just not? You know what? I think it's it's such a great model, and uh, I love how they call it. Yo, know, the Louis C.K. model. Like, or, or like if people go to FX now. They want I want the Louis C.K. contract. And right. And I, there was a great article with. Louis C.K. where he's like, he says, he goes, you know, you got to understand, like, there is no Louis C.K. contract. He goes, basically, they can still in my contract come in and screw everything up. They can change any <laughs> fucking thing they want, but it's basically they don't. They leave me alone. So, right. Uh, yeah. Well, and also it's funny because like what, you know, what Louis did was brilliant, but tons of people do that. Yeah. Tons of people, tons of people do the, uh, you know, the, yeah, pay. I'll just pay for the Ga- Gaffigan's doing it now too. Yeah, That's Gaffigan's right. did it. Aziz just did it. Yeah, and I mean, I get pretty left alone. You know, with most of the stuff we make, we've been really lucky. So most people don't kind of come in and say, "Now change this or do that." You know, we uh, we've been really fortunate. So did you did you handle the success well of Super Size Me, or was it just sort of? Or I mean, did you go crazy at all? I mean, I just always think it's. I'm always interested. It's almost like the Lotto curse in a weird yeah. sort of way, where 
something tips or your life dramatically changes and we as human beings, uh, we are very adaptive, but we're also not well programmed to handle rapid, immediate change. Yeah. Even if it's something that we think we want, we kind of like, ah, like smash, 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 self-destruct. Yeah. No. So did, were you okay with it right afterwards? Or Yeah, did... I mean, I was, luckily I wasn't like a kid. I mean, at that point I was already 33, you know, so I think that I, I had already kind of, I had already been evicted from my apartment. I was already sleeping in a hammock. At that point I was like, I can take what's coming, you know, I, right. I can deal with this. Um, you know, I'd already kind of had it down, and now this up, big upswing was happening. But uh, no, if it had happened in, in my twenties, it'd probably been much harder. It'd be funny if you. I would have been. I'd have been like you know, right on. You know, uh, the VH VH One show. What's it called? Uh, behind the music. Oh right. I'd have been right in there. I'd have been the. I'd have been totally fucked up, all strung out somewhere. You know, blowing <laughs> you guys do for movies. Kind it's of like, look no, like no, I'd Leaf love to, Garrett. I'd love to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see behind behind the music. Like, what behind happened to the people? Me. What are the people who made that? Show? I once during uh, the Goo Goo Dolls shoot, <laughs> tragedy I once, struck. I once, like at the when I was working when I worked at the Apple Store and I worked at the Genius Bar, Leaf Garrett came in with his fucking iPod and it was broken and it was old, and mm. I just felt really bad telling him that it wasn't under warranty. Uh, that I'd have to buy a new one. He didn't. He couldn't buy a new one. Oh man. <laughs> It was sad. so he had to leave it. He said, "Listen, I'll uh, he left. He I'll, left. I'll give you leave it right he there. Said, I'll, t- I'll give you a hand job for a new one." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, well, I mean, if it's a good handy, <laughs> the big uh, HJ barter system. Judge. <laughs> I, I I like to think that what happened was uh, after Super Size Me, you bought like a twenty three room mansion and slept in a hammock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. It just you know, uh, it really supports my back in a yeah. really nice way. Like, no, it's like I didn't. Uh, You're releasing mice in the house just because you're yeah. trying to relive. No, the- I, like I don't spend a ton of money on it. I bought a, I bought a little cabin because I, I grew up in West Virginia, you know. So I love being out in the mountains, and I, I have a little boy now, and I wanted him to like be able to like go hug a tree and you know play in the grass and yeah. have like dog piss in it. You know, I wanted him yeah. to like, have a real <laughs> outdoor experience. So I bought like a place in upstate New York where you know he and I can escape to and. And the only, I mean, like, the only thing I think, the only thing I spend money on is, um, is I collect a lot of art. Like I collect a lot of like lowbrow and street art, and yeah. you know, that's kind of like the only thing that I'm really addicted to. What, who are you liking right now? What do you like? I don't know um, much about street art, but who? Yeah, who's... no, this like, uh, I just curated a show that's going to be at Think Space Gallery here in LA at the uh, at the end of April, and that whole show it's filled with a lot of like artists that I think have kind of changed the way the art world you know kind of works and operates. People like Ron English and Saber. Uh, Mark Jenkins, uh, design, you know, it's a lot of nice. guys who've gone from kind of, you know, street to gallery, you know, yeah. big gallery uh, respect, which is, it's it's a cool show. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about while you're here or plug or, because uh, we're almost at the end of yeah, our hour, but I want to make sure. Should, uh, everybody should check out Comic-Con episode four. It's yeah, you really should. It's a really, it's a lovely movie and it, and it, like it was. I'm sure when I get home, my invitation will be there. It'll be there. I'm it'll so be, sorry. Be there. Yeah, <laughs> it was just the mail fucking. Yeah, I mean, there mail. So it must have been that mailman. <laughs> there that are asshole. numerous moments in the film yeah. where you can't help but get a little choked up. You're like, oh, I've yeah. se- I've seen the wedding proposal a hundred plus times, and, and it's every still... time I watch it, I still get chills. I still well up. Like the geek in me is is so happy. It's a beautiful. I mean, what I love about this film is you watch this movie, and no matter who you are, you start to realize that there's a little geek inside of you, yeah. even if you deny it. You've denied it up till now. It's time to admit it. It's time to come out of the geek closet. You know, <laughs> say it loud. I'm a geek and I'm proud. Don't yeah. be afraid. Oh, by the way, Kevin Smith is fucking hilarious in the movie. He's like he, it amazing. almost made me think that Kevin should do stand up. Yeah. Well, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen any of his like Q and A's? Yeah, yeah. His Q and A's are hilarious. It's, but it is literally like, he does stand up for like forty five minutes when he comes out and does that. It's but amazing. I mean, it's it. But just but just like watching him uh, up against the, the the blank background, just talking. He has a riff in there 
about going back and seeing young Kevin Smith as, <laughs> as current Kevin Smith that is so goddamn funny. It is one of the greatest things that, ever. Uh, I, and, and what's great about it is that it doesn't really pertain to exactly what's going on in the movie, but I'm so glad that you're like, this is so fucking funny. We just have to leave this in. That's right. Uh, <laughs> such, a, it was such a great piece, but really fun. And, and Stan Lee came Stan out Lee. to introduce the movie. Amazing. Morgan, Amazing. you have excellent taste, my friend. <laughs> fucking love Incredible. that guy. He's, the fact that Stan Lee is 89 years old and has more energy than a lot of like 25-year-olds I know. It's, oh, he's incredible. The guy is a machine, and, and he loves what he does. I, I feel so lucky to have gotten to spend so much time with him making this movie. I mean, it's been a real, it's been a real gift. I love. He he, intru- he introduced the movie. You, you introduced the, f- the movie at the premiere, and then Stan came out. Uh, sorry, you weren't there, Matt. Yeah, thanks. And uh, <laughs> but but Stan's whole thing of like, I stayed awake through this entire movie, and he goes, "You don't know me. I didn't stay awake through my own documentary." <laughs> it's like he's just such a gem. I he fucking is. love that he's guy. One in a million, man. Uh, well, Morgan, it is an honor to have you on, and a, and a pleasure. You. And you know, I you know, I've been five. I follow you on the Twitter, and it's nice to you know, nice that you're making stuff. And and I look forward to seeing. I, I definitely look forward to seeing uh, Mansum. Yeah, you're gonna love it. Uh, it's, it's a fun movie. Can I just have a copy of it? Can absolutely, you, done. I'll pay for we'll, it. We'll give you. We'll give you a little sneak. We'll I'll give tell you a little sneak to talk can I, about. Can I get a little sneaky? Yes, absolutely. I'll okay. And when the premiere sneak. comes, you can have my mailman lose it again. It's fine. <laughs> Here's what I'll do. Here's what we'll do. Listen, you come to New York. We'll we'll get you into the premiere. I'll fly to New York. That's fine. <laughs> Matt will fly. Matt's the kind of guy that would fly to New York, go to the premiere, get back on a plane, and fly home. Like yeah. he doesn't mind. I've I'll done. Do I've done things. Though, I'll like, do it. I've done that before. I'll do well, it. it's not fun. Uh, Morgan at Morgan Spurlock on the Twitter. Is there a website? Uh, uh, Morgan Spurlock.com, but, but Comic Con Movie is where people should be going. Go okay, go Comic Con Movie. movie. Uh, you can get it on iTunes. You can get it on demand. Uh, just search for it. Uh, you have Google people, so use it. That's you right, have use Google it. people. <laughs> I don't have Google people. I own, I own Google. And, They're like the Oompa Loompas that live in my computer. <laughs> Google right. people, come on! They're but, extra tiny. Yeah, and but until next time, we're going to start plotting and planning and figure out this whole Enterprise Hotel. That yes! Is the, that is... Oh, let's we make have a to figure that out. About that. Like, or what about like I think that you or like a uh, the, the Enterprise is a better idea. Yeah. I mean, but next to the Enterprise, you can make like a smaller like one of the penthouses could be like a Millennium Falcon penthouse. Like that's the next door. That's like parked on the roof. I don't think the uh, I don't think the don't two I don't think those two clusters would appreciate that. I don't think those two clusters would. I think I think the Enterprise because the, the Millennium Falcon is not is not for a lot. I mean, like it's just for a small crew. Yeah, it's so, just but, for, it's just saying, a smuggler it, ship. That's why you turn it into like the penthouse. I guess, or like, or like one of the uh, one of the uh, like a bungalow. The bungalow is the Millennium Falcon. Or what happens pool. is, or what happens is, uh, we build the Enterprise, and then some rival group of nerds like builds a <laughs> Klingon warbird. I saw this. <laughs> I saw this thing. <laughs> I saw this thing the other day on Reddit that fucking made me laugh out loud. It was a picture. Someone had, uh, is these two uh, housemaker women in the kitchen getting ready baking stuff. And they had uh, Luke's face on it and uh, Han Solo's face on it. And Han Solo's just saying, Luke, we're going to have company. Just fucking, <laughs> fucking cracked me up. Just the fucking image. Just, the <laughs> just baking. I love Reddit so much. I love Reddit so much. Have yeah. you done an AMA on Reddit yet? I did. I just did one this past week. How was it? It was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. It's like, it's one of those things where I can't think of like the last time I stared at my computer for two hours straight, just like answering in questions so intently. And like, I felt like by the time I was done, I felt like I had carpal tunnel. Oh know? yeah. It's, it's, like, it's hard to keep up. Yeah. Cause they'll just, they just come in like by the batches. Yeah. One comes in and it's like, brrr, there's hundreds coming in. And by the time I was done, I was like, God, why did I quit typing class? I was so angry. 
And then you also like you feel a certain amount of responsibility. Like you want to try to answer every question. That's what you start. You start trying to answer everyone as they come, and then at a certain point, you're like, I'm being overtaken by the wave. And then it's a, and then it's <laughs> then over. You're then you're like, you've already lost the 10, 20 go by, and you just yeah. can't. And then like I got off after two hours, and then like more questions came in for like the next two hours, and I was like, I'm, I'm not going to come back. And they will be coming in for weeks. Yeah, and I'm not going to come back for that. Yeah. And then, like this asshole isn't answering the question. I was like, already <laughs> left. <laughs> already left. Just write Rampart. No, yeah, that'd be a funny. Yeah. Joke. I don't know what that means. See my uh, new movie, Rampart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. But enjoy your healthy burrito. I should go on AMA and answer only questions about Woody Harrelson fucking that girl at that prom. That would be great. <laughs> That's all I'm answering questions about. I am Matt Myra, and I was not at this situation. Ask me anything about it. I was not it. at that situation or the premiere of episode four of Phantom. AMA. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thanks, man. Sure. Thanks, Morgan. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts